All right, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Friendship. So glad that you have joined us today. What a rich time of worship to start uh, this morning. Save one moment when I was called an old man, which I don't know if young Andrew realized that when he said that, he threw a lot of people in this room under the bus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those who are really old. Uh, Man, I'm so glad that you are here. We are in this third week of the series called 10 Words to Live By. 10 Words to Live By. Books are available. If you haven't grabbed a copy, uh, we have them over at our Next Steps area. You can grab one for a suggested donation of five bucks or just grab one if you you don't have the money for that. We would love to just bless you. Uh, I want that to be a resource for you as we work our way through this series. We are talking about the 10 Commandments, uh, also called the Decalogue, which literally just means 10 words. These are 10 words to live by. So let me start by asking you a question. Any of y'all ever been to like a state fair or uh, maybe an amusement park where they, there's, there's like these people that sit around like artists and they draw these caricatures? You know what I'm talking about? They still do those. Uh, I remember, um, so, so I think the point of that is they focus in on a feature and they like distort it and exaggerate it, right? So I remember at one point when I was younger, me and my older brother, I, we might've been at like Disneyland or somewhere, uh, and we stopped and had one of these done. And uh, so uh, if you don't know, I'm half Asian, my mother is Vietnamese, and so like I grew up in a very white Caucasian environment where there's not a lot of diversity. So I was always kind of self-conscious about my eyes, all right? Because you could tell I was Asian with my eyes, the younger I was. And uh, so I remember, uh, I don't remember much about the picture, I just remember I didn't love it, because I. Think I think what they did was they just took my eyes and made them very squinty. Uh, you know what I'm t- talking about? And I was like, this speaks right into my, you know, my whatever, my psyche. I don't like this. Um, but I, I was looking up like characters. Uh, there's this silly website that you can get lost in this wormhole called Bag, uh, BadCharacters.com, where they literally you can pay five bucks, send in a picture, and they will they will create a bad character of you and they'll send it to you along with an apology that's like, I'm sorry, this looks nothing like you. Uh, your eyes are messed up. I'm sorry, no refunds. Uh, and it's, it's funny, you see it on social media, but I'm gonna just give you a few examples as I was working through this. I spent a lot of my sermon preparation time doing very spiritual things badcharacters.com. So here's, uh, here's a couple, Alex and Kim, sweet, you know, selfie of the couple, and here's the character that they were sent. Um, <laughs> not real flattering. Oh, Alex looks like a troll. Um, here's a second one. This is of Nikki, who looks like she's, you know, eating an ice cream cone on the streets of Paris, right? And here is her character. Uh, not, there, there you go. Uh, number three is, is uh, Simon, Simon the Smolderer, um, if you will, and here's his picture. It's hard to capture a smolder in a, in a character. Uh, there he is, large nostrils and all. Here is Shay. Um, she's, you know, cute little selfie in her home, just doing her thing, and here is her picture. <laughs> um, wow, is that what I look like? He's not good with teeth, as you can tell. Um, here's a fifth and final one. Is- Isabel, you know, she looks, you know, she's putting her face on. Here is her character. It's wonderful, right? Um, so yeah, if you, have a, if you have a minimally large forehead, it's gonna be gigantic, right? It's just this distortion, this exaggeration, uh, these characters. Now, why did I bring that up? Well, it, it reminds me of the second word that we're gonna talk about today, that the second word is a prohibition on carved, or depending on your Bible translation, you may be used to the word graven 
images. It's a prohibition on, on images or idols. And now this is closely related to but distinct from the first commandment. The first commandment was, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, and so this one kind of feels like it bleeds into um, some, like, so for instance, let me, let me say this, the, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, if you have a Roman Catholic background, um, this, the second commandment or word is kind of combined with the first one. So the way that they come out with 10 in the end is they take the 10th commandment and divide it into two. And uh, so I was even looking on the official Vatican website today to just, I was kind of reading more about this. And uh, I think that is, uh, I will say this, uh, I think that's a little suspicious because the Roman Catholic Church does use a lot of images and icons in their worship. Uh, And so I think it's interesting. Uh, And I'll I'll speak more maybe to that later. Um, But it's this prohibition on on carved or graven images or idols to worship God. Now, what, what it's ultimately saying is this. Don't create an image of me. God is saying in the second command, don't create an image of me that doesn't match who I am. Don't create an image, whether it's physical, which was very much the case in the Old Testament. Don't create an image of me, whether it's physical or mental, like a way of thinking, an idea in your mind of who I am that doesn't match who I am, that that distorts or reduces who I am. Don't create some image of me that reduces my beauty and, and my power, who I am. Don't make me into a version that is less than who I am. Don't, don't make a version in your mind or physically that, that makes me, God says, more accessible or more palatable or more manageable. God says, don't do that. Don't create those kind of images. And so the second word calls us to undiminished worship undiminished worship. This is the second word. This is what today is going to be about. Exodus 20. We're going to be in uh, Exodus 20 throughout this entire series where the Ten Commands shows up in Exodus 20 today in verses 4 to 6. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, begin to turn there. We'll be there in just a moment. Exodus is your second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Let me, before we stand and read together, I want to read you this statement. This is kind of the big idea, the bottom line for this morning, and it's this, that God calls us away from worshiping any version of him that is less than God. God calls us away from worshiping any version of him that is less than God. So I'm going to encourage you to stand with me uh, at this time. We're going to read, uh, if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. We're going, to, we're going to every week build on what we've read before. So this morning we're going to read verses 1 through 3, which we covered last week, and then we'll expand on that by going through verses 4 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. It's truth. It's life. It is his revelation of himself to us. And here is what the word of the Lord says. Verse number one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me 
and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, this morning, thank you for your word, your truth that we can, like we sung this morning, we can build our life upon it. We don't have to wonder about who you are, what you're like, what you have done. God, you have revealed your truth to us through your word. So God, thank you for inspiring your word. Thank you for passing it down to us so that we could have a vision of, of who you are and all that you have done. We can build our lives upon your love and your truth. And so, Lord, this morning as we approach you, as we approach your word, I pray that, um, God, you would open our hearts and you would open our minds, you would open our ears to the truth of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would take this second word, the second commandment that, that came generations and in, 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 in decades and decades ago, God, and that you would bring it into our lives today. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. God, help us to be obedient to what you have shown us. And so, Lord, this morning we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? So I want to re repeat that phrase that, that we started with here a moment ago. God calls us away from worshiping any version of him that is less than God. And today I want to arrange my outline a little differently than I normally do. I want to go through the four questions. I mentioned these four questions last week. Uh, I love these. I think these are so helpful for us to keep uh, the Lord and his, his word, the gospel, first. It's not primarily about me, but it's first of all about who God is and what he has done. And then in light of who he is and what he's done, who am I? What's my identity? And how am I to live in light of that. So we're going to walk through these four questions. Uh, this is the first thing I thought of as I read through this passage is, is, is the four questions. So let's start with the first one. Who is God? What does this passage tell us about the, the, the character and the nature of God? And you, and you see uh, really through, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the, the Ten Commandments, the first four point to uh, our relationship with God, our, our vertical relationship with God and how we are to uh, live in relationship to him. So one, two, three, four, all about our, our vertical relationship with God. Uh, words number five through ten, those last six, are all about our horizontal relationships, how we are to relate and live uh, in relationship with others. And so in these first four words, we learn so much uh, about the character and the nature of God. Uh, in particular, he, he makes a few statements um, here, and especially in verse number five, we see a very direct statement about who he is. He says in verse number five, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, this was, this was not an unusual name for God in the Old Testament. It was actually a, a pretty common one. Let me read you a couple passages uh, that refer to him as a jealous God. Uh, a few chapters later in Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 13 and 14, it says this, You shall tear down their altars, speaking of these false gods and idols, and break their pillars and Cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is what? Jealous, is a jealous God. His name is Jealous, and he is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24. Moses, uh, communicating the words of God to God's people, Moses says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a what? A jealous God. He is a jealous God. Now, what does it mean that God is jealous? So 
you know, a lot of times when we think of, of jealousy, we think of that. That's not a, a, a very um, positive thought, right? A lot of times we think of jealousy like we think of, I want what you have. And, and this is not what God is saying because God has need of nothing. He's actually provided everything for us. So there's, this is not what jealousy means in, in this instance. What it, what it means is, is, from God's perspective, is that I don't want anyone or anything to have you, I don't want anyone or anything to have you. I want you to, I want to be your, as we saw last week, I want to be your one and only God. And so God, when you look in the scriptures, and we talk about this, I feel like every week, even when we talk about our offering, the reason that we give, the reason that we are generous is because God himself has been generous to us. And so what we see throughout the Bible is that God is a very generous God. But there's two areas in which God is, is really not generous. One of them, he said, I will not share my glory with another. I alone am, am glorious and worthy of worship. I'm not going to share my glory with another. But a second thing that he says really throughout the scriptures is this. I don't want to share your heart with anybody or anything else. I don't want to share your heart with any. I want your heart this is who God is. He is a jealous God. Uh, I want to quote, uh, read this quote for you from Alan Redpath. He says this, God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival, not because he's selfish and wants us all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. He's jealous for us. He's jealous over us. And so God is a jealous God. This is the first thing that we want to see about who he is. Number two is this. What has he done? What has God done? Now, I want to go back to verses uh, five and six. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what has he done? He, he talks about, and we'll expand on this here in a moment. He says, I, I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the, the fourth generation. So this is not what he's saying. He's not saying that God punishes children for the sins of their parents. Like we're going to have to face punishment for our parents and our ancestors' sin. No, what he's saying is that our sin, any generation's sin, will impact the next generation to the third and to the fourth generation. But I think the important phrase you can't miss here is he says, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who what? Those who hate me, those who hate me. So if one, here's what, what, what the truth is, is that if one generation hates the Lord, doesn't follow the Lord, isn't faithful to follow in his ways, that will impact the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. But any generation, anyone has the opportunity, anybody has the invitation to break the cycle of sin. Anybody has the invitation to receive the steadfast love of the Lord. And I love how it, how it says this. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the children, on the, of the fathers on the children, the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But 
showing steadfast love to thousands. That could literally be translated to the thousandth generation, to those who would love me and keep my commandments. And so the impact of our sinfulness and our rebellion against God, man, that, that has impact to gener- from generation to generation, to the third and to the fourth generation. And yet, any generation has the opportunity to receive the love of God and to break the cycle. For some of you, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You grew up in a home that was contrary to the Lord, and you had to become the one, like I did, to break the cycle and say, no. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be about following the Lord. Let me read you this quote that I think, um, actually, let me mention this before I read this quote. Uh, If any of you all have been doing the Bible reading plan we've been talking about, uh, we've been in the book of 2 Kings. And what you see in the the book of 2 Kings is you have a king who doesn't follow in the ways of the Lord. And what do you see with typically the next generation? They don't follow in the ways of the Lord. And the next, gener- next generation, most of the kings were evil and did what was not right in the sight of the Lord until occasionally there would come one generation, one king, who would say, nope, I'm going to break the cycle. I am going to follow in the footsteps of not my father's, but my father David. And I'm going to follow in righteousness after the Lord. This is, this is just the reality of, of life. But let me read you this quote from John MacArthur. Children would feel the impact of breaches of God's law by their parents' generation as a natural consequence of its disobedience, its hatred of God. Children reared in such an environment would imbibe or absorb and then practice similar idolatry, thus themselves expressing hateful disobedience. Here's a line I want you to see. The effect of a disobedient generation was to plant wickedness so deeply that it took several generations to reverse. And and some of you would see some of your habits and things and sinful tendencies in your life and you go, hmm, Guilty, but man, some of that stuff, I, I, I watched my parents or I watched previous generations and, and there's an effect there. But here's ultimately what I want to point us to. What, what has he done? What has he done? And a, a, a good way for us to frame this question is what has God done for us in Christ? And, and I just want to take a moment here to say this, that Christ, who is our elder brother, he visited us in our iniquity and he, show, he has shown a steadfast love. In the midst of our sin and our iniquity, he visited us and he provided us this opportunity for redemption, this opportunity to find our way out of our sin uh, and to, into the love of God. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. I love this passage where Paul says this. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He didn't just sprinkle it upon us or offer it to us. No, he lavished his love upon us, his grace He visited us in our iniquity and offered us steadfast love. This is who God is. He's a jealous God. He wants our worship. He wants our hearts. He has visited us and provided a way of redemption. Question three is this. Now, in light of that, who am I? Who are we? What is our identity? Go back to verse number four of Exodus 20. He he says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved what? 
image or any what? Likeness of anything that's in heaven above, earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. I want you to pay attention to those words. They're so important. Uh, All the words in Scripture are important. He drops these words. Image and likeness. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in, in the heavens above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Image, likeness, image, likeness, image, likeness. These words, if you're familiar with the scripture, man, these, these take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 when God was creating all things, all these things under heaven and on the earth and the seas, creating all of these things. He, he creates man, the first man out of which he creates woman. Here is what he says, God in, 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 in Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, In this conversation, God said, let us, referring to the Trinity, let us make man in our what? In our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And you see, this is almost kind of repetitive language here, what we see in Exodus. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Here, here, is, here is what is implied in Exodus chapter 20. We are image bearers. We bear the image and the likeness of God. It is how we were created. We bear the imago Dei. This is a Latin phrase for image of God. We are all image bearers of God. And this is why God says, "Mm, don't make any other images because I've already made you in my image and in my likeness. This is your role and your role alone to play. And I don't want any other created thing to occupy this role. Jen Wilkin, I love how she says this in the book. It was like one of these moments where it just kind of uh, hit me uh, between the eyes. She said, God and God alone is permitted to make a graven image of himself. He has done so in humanity. We must not make images of God because we ourselves bear the image of God. But because of sin, we do, do so in a diminished way. No one has imaged God perfectly except one. Colossians 1 says it's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of of all creation. But by the power of the Spirit, grace-fueled obedience refashions us into faithful likenesses. Bearing the image of God does not mean we look like him in physical terms, but rather in spiritual terms, not so that others may worship us, but so that they may worship him. So every single one of us, we were created in the image of God. And whether you have a relationship with God or not, whether you've ever repented of your sins or not, you have the marks, you have the the likeness of God in you. You ever heard the phrase or use the phrase, man, he's a spitting image of his father or his mother. That's, That's what he's talking about. We all bear the image of God. And if you are in Christ, what God desires is to continue to form you and fashion you more and more into the likeness of Christ. 
And this is who we are. We are image bearers. And so in light of, of all of this, who God is, what he's done, who we are as image bearers, what do we do? So let's start with what we do not do, because we see that very clearly back in verse number four. It says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water uh, under the earth. So if I was to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, but if I asked you, how many of you have carved, you know, a, a, a false god or an idol, and you have that in your home? If I asked that question, I'm, I don't know, I might be afraid to know if anybody has, that would be weird. Most of us would be like, okay, I don't, I don't have any problem with this commandment. I've never done that. I don't, I don't whittle stuff out of wood in my spare time. I just don't sit on the porch and do that. Not a problem. I don't bow down to physical idols. So we go, okay, I don't, no problem. On to number three. Okay, what's the next one? But we've, we've got to be careful here. What, so what do we not do? Obviously, we don't, in a negative sense, we don't make images of, of created things and, and worship them uh, as creator. Uh, I want to reference, but we're not going to go there. Romans chapter 1 uh, really talks about, I, I like in here, we, we see this progression. You make the idols, you bow down to them, you serve them. Make them, bow down, you serve them. And in Romans chapter 1, we see this progression of sinfulness and unrighteousness that begins with exchanging the truth of God with lies to the point where we begin to worship and serve. Romans one twenty five says the creation rather than the what? The creator. And this is what he's saying is that, man, there's this tendency for us to worship and bow down to and serve created things. And so in, in a negative sense, he says, don't make images of created things and worship them as creator. So most of us will go, okay, check, done. So don't do that. Okay, so don't do that. Don't go home and carve anything or whatever. What do we do, though? That is the question. How do we live in light of this? How do we live in obedience to what we see in this, this second word? So I want to give you three, three thoughts this morning, three ways to apply what we see in this text. Here is, here's the first one. It's this. Let him shape, form, and fashion you into his image. Let him shape, form, fashion you into his image. And I want to take you to Romans chapter 8. Many of us, we recognize Romans 8.28. Maybe you have it on a, on a coffee mug or something. It says, uh, God works all things together for those who, uh, who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? And we go, man, God promises he's going to take every situation in my life, every struggle, every good thing, every bad thing, and he's going to somehow weave all these things together for my good. And we go, yes, amen, God's going to do that. And a lot of times we miss verse number 29, which is this. This is the purpose of why he, he works all things together in our life. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the what? To the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what God says. My purpose in your life, through all the good, through all the bad, and weaving all of the stuff together, my purpose is to conform you more and more into the image of my son. 
that is his goal in our life, to form us and to shape us and fashion us into the image of his son. And so, listen, whatever struggle you're going through right now, whatever difficulty you're facing that you want to stiff arm, that you want to reject, listen, be careful because everything that God is doing in your life, he has this deeper goal of not just making your life better and more simple, more enjoyable, more pleasurable. No, his goal in every single one of our lives and all of the situations and circumstances you find yourself is to shape and form and fashion you more and more into the image of Jesus. So that when you experience things that your response to it and the way that you go through it will form you more and more and conform you into the image of his son. This is God's goal for every single one of us. Let him shape and form and fashion you into his image. Don't reject the work that he is doing in your life. Because here's the reality. When any kind of molding and shaping, any wiping away dross, any of that stuff to perfect something is always painful. And it's always, it's, it's never pleasurable, but man, it produces something incredible. And God is at work in your life, even now. I don't care what you're facing. He is in the process. He has this end goal in mind of conforming you into his image. And so let him do that. Let him have his perfect work in your life. Here's a second thought of how to apply this. God has the right, he has every right to determine or to instruct us on how to worship him. And so we are called to worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus, you may recognize these words. Jesus in John chapter four, he's having this conversation with a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And he, he, he tells her this, John 4, 24. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who worship him. He, he, he's, he's drawing the boundaries for how we are to worship God. He says, worship him in spirit. In other words, inwardly, not just outwardly, but with our hearts in spirit and worship him in truth. Y'all understand what that means? It means we can't just worship him for however we jolly well please. No, he says, according to truth, which has been revealed to us. We have to worship him according to truth. So let me, let me talk about it this way, because I, I think what tends to happen, um, this is true of me, maybe it's true of you, um, we tend to look at certain aspects of God that we like, certain aspects that, are, uh, that feel good, and we receive those, and we say, mm, the other stuff, I don't understand, I don't get it. It seems harsh. Old Testament stuff seems not fun. I don't get it, so I'm, I'm going to stick to what I know about God. He's loving. He's gracious. And, and he absolutely, 100% is gracious and loving, but... Let me say this. He also cares deeply about your holiness. He cares deeply about my holiness and that we live in a holy way. He is not so loving that he just says, hey, live however you want. I don't care. 
No, he cares about our holiness. He is loving and gracious, but man, he is, he is truthful. He is truthful and he is just and he deals with sin. He wants to root all of that out of us. And so when, when we, for us to say that God is only loving and gracious is to distort who he is. He is not just loving and gracious. He is just and he is holy. He is a God, he is a jealous God. When we say he is only loving, y'all know what we're doing? We're drawing a big old fat character of God that says this is what he looks like. He is loving. This is, this is all that he is. And man, we, we distort, we reduce who God really is. To say that he is only loving is to diminish what Christ has done for us. Because if he is only loving, then when he looks at our sin, he could go, mm, you know what? Eh, no big deal. I'm just going to look right over it. No. He is a holy, just God that must deal with our sin. If he was only, if, if he was only loving and not just, he would not have died to pay the price for our sin. But he is a holy God. He is a just God and a loving God. Y'all, we can't, we can't diminish who, we, who he is. To say that he is only loving is not to worship God, but in fact to worship yourself. We were in this men's Bible study on Thursday morning, and my son Aiden uh, made this comment, this comment, this observation how we, we tend to um, pick and choose from the Bible what we, what we, again, what I was talking about, what we like about God. Well, he's gracious and he's loving. I don't like this other stuff, so I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to let that go. And so he talked about that, and that brought up a, a quote um, that, that I want to read to you this morning from an old dead guy. All right, his name is Augustine, St. Augustine. He says this, If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel, believe, but yourself. If you believe what you like, if you pick and choose, if you take the good things and leave out the things that are a little more challenging, you're not believing the gospel, you're believing yourself. You're, you and I are creating God in our image rather than allowing him to shape us into his. And so we've got to be careful to say that he is only loving is to distort and to diminish him. Let, let, me, let me flip this because maybe some of you grew up in a fundamental background. Like, like I kind of came into uh, the faith in, in a very fundamental, judgmental, hell, fire, brimstone kind of environment. Can, so can I say this? To see God or to say that God is only just and is only truthful is to distort and diminish who he is and what he has done for us. It paints an incomplete, exaggerated picture of, of who he is. If he was only just and not loving, he wouldn't have died for us. And yet he did because he is a loving God. And so let me remind you of this, this big idea that God calls us away from, from worshiping any version of, of him that is less than God. And, and it's so easy for us to distort who he is based on what we like and don't like. Can I, can I just give one more example? And this is a, a difficult and touchy one, and yet I think it's important to mention in 2023. Because our culture has said this is a God who is, is loving, 
He, he, he loves, and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you think. Just do what you want. God will love you anyways. It, it, let me give a very specific application to say that it doesn't matter my gender. I can choose that. Y'all, mm, can I just say this? God has said, Genesis 1, 27, male and female created he them very specifically for a purpose with his purpose in mind. Do we love everybody? Absolutely, but we don't act like it doesn't matter because God says it does matter. I've created you for a purpose, on purpose. And so don't paint a picture of me that is less than who I am. And so when we do that, when we subscribe to, hey, it doesn't matter. Yes, God is loving, but God cares about your holiness and he wants to deal with your sin. He has provided a way for us to receive steadfast love. And if we go, it doesn't matter what you choose. God's gonna love you anyways. We distort who God is. And y'all, we cannot do this. This is what he calls us against. He calls us away from worshiping any version of God that is less than who he is. And this is, man, y'all, this is why it is so important. This is why I keep talking about question one and question two. Who is God? What has he done? Because if we are going to worship God rightly, we need to, every single one of us included, we need to continue to grow in our understanding of who he is and what he has done so that we can worship him rightly. So that we can worship him rightly. So let me... Let me move into this third and final thought about how we apply this. Number one and number two, let him form, fashion us into his image. Number two, um, we are to uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the third thing that makes really, that is, is underlying those first two. Here's, here's what we need. And this is, this is if, you're, if you're an English or grammar person, you're going to hate me. This is a terrible sentence. I didn't know how else to say it, all right? So bear with me. Um, Develop and jealously guard spiritually formative practices in your life. So the key is spiritually formative practices. What are some rhythms, some habits, some things in your life that form you spiritually? Because we all understand. We all develop habits or practices that, that form us, right? That shape us. Often they're unintentional or accidental. We do things routinely in our life that form who we are. And the truth is that we, every single one of us, we need, we need habits or practices that intentionally form us spiritually. We need practices and habits that intentionally form us. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two that I think are the most formative spiritual practices that you could have. They're basic, you know them, you could probably say these to me in your sleep, but here's, here's what they are. Read your Bible, gather with God's people. I believe, you can fight me on this, <laughs> I believe these are the two most formative. There are, other, there are other habits and practices that you could and should incorporate in your life, but man, when I look at it, these are the two foundational ones. Read your Bible, gather with God's people. When you do these things, when you form these habits, um, man, nothing will form you more. Do, do these things regularly, read your Bible, gather with God's people, it will form you. Do these two things sporadically, it will form you. Do these things rarely, it will form you. 
So develop and jealously guard spiritually, uh, these spiritually formative practices. By the way, I didn't, man, I, I didn't say this in the, in the first service, but I'm going to say this here. Can I say to parents, because we have a lot of parents in the room, can I just say this? This will impact the next generation. Your spiritually formative habits, whether you do them or you don't, it will have an impact to the third and to the fourth generation. You have an opportunity to begin to form yourself around the person and the work of Jesus, and that will, to the thousandth generation even, it says, impact them. What you do or do not do in this area and how you worship God will impact the next generation for good or for ill. And so form your habits because your habits will form you. Form your habits because your habits will form you. So if you want to allow God to shape you and form you and fashion you and conform you into his image, man, develop these practices because these things will help form and shape you. So let me wrap up this morning. Uh, let me wrap this up on maybe the most encouraging thought we'll, we'll, we'll speak on today is that there is coming a day that all of Scripture, the story of God, all of it points to when we will stand before God. And if you are in Christ, we will stand in the presence of God. There will, there will be no more uh, temptations. There will be no other rival, no other image that we'll be able to see that will tempt us to worship outside of, of the Lord. Revelation 22, 3 and 4 says it this way. No longer will there be anything accursed. There will be no more sin when we step into the presence of God in heaven. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Verse number four, I want you to catch this. They will see his what? His face. Y'all, if you are in Christ, there is coming a day when every single one of us will see Jesus face to face. We will at that point be fully conformed to the image of Christ, his desire for us all along. There will be no more rivals, no more images that we could look at that would tempt us to worship. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. But until that day, y'all, we have been given everything that we need. We've been given everything we need, the truth of God, the word of God, the spirit of God in us to live this way now. And God is calling us to, to step away from worship of any version of him that is less than who he is and who he has revealed himself to be. So let's be that kind of people. Amen. And Lord Jesus, thank you for what we've seen today. Thank you for your revealed truth. God, if we were left to figure things out on our own, man, we would be doomed. We would be stuck in our sin with no hope of redemption. And yet, God, you have stepped into space and time and you've stepped into our world to free us. You have stepped in to offer us grace and mercy and forgiveness, you have stepped into our place to take our sin and our punishment upon yourself. 
And God, our desire is to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Your plan is to fashion us into the image of Christ, to conform us into your likeness. God, what a privilege that we alone have been given the role to bear your image, to bear your likeness to the world, that we could be a window through which others look to see the glory of God, the goodness and the mercy and the holiness of our God. And so, Lord, this morning we come before you. We want to we wanna be a people that allow you to conform us. Help us to live in obedience to your word. Help us to give ourselves fully to you today. We pray in Jesus' name.